Hi, this is the Zane Lowe Interviews on Apple Podcasts, and I'm Zane Lowe. Zane Lowe, Apple Music. Just so you know about me, I've been conducting conversations in this space for nearly 30 years, and every conversation is different from the last, and I learn a lot every single time I sit down opposite somebody that I'm inspired by or a fan of, and I feel privileged to be able to act as that bridge between the artist and the fan. Today I'm talking with Hayley Williams, founding member and front woman of the band Paramore, who found huge success at a very early age. But it felt like with every step toward that success and every great album they released, there was some kind of situation that Paramore had to deal with. You know, fallouts within the band, members leaving and eventually coming back, lawsuits. And by the time the band released their last album After Laughter, there was a full-blown behind the music ready to be made. Thankfully, the album was a triumph and Paramore went and did what they do and embarked on a huge world tour cementing their reputation as one of the world's most successful and beloved modern rock bands. Upon returning home, Hayley Williams found herself no longer in a marriage and with nothing but time to sit at home, be self-aware and reflect. Very soon, like all great artists, that turned into words and then those words started to become songs. One song, two songs. And by the time she'd recorded five or six, I got an email saying, I think I'm making an album and I'd love to talk to you about it. When I went into the studio to hear what would become Pedals for Armour, I was blown away. The music was so beautifully made and constructed and produced and the words, of course, the melodies and Hayley's performance sounded like nothing she'd ever attempted before. It was clear that she was putting what she was going through straight into the music and that when it was finished, we would have a very important document on what it is to do self-work. We decided we wanted to have a very different kind of conversation to one we'd had before, one that reflected the very personal nature of the record and was unafraid. And on the day that we connected via FaceTime from isolation, Haley was true to her word. You're about to hear a fascinating conversation with a brilliant and brave artist who's released a remarkable body of work called Pedals for Armor. Stream it as an accompaniment to this conversation right now on Apple Podcasts. My conversation with the brilliant Haley Williams. So Haley, are you comfortable? Are you ready to begin? Or should we just, should we just start while you're making coffee? Because it seems like as good a time as any. <laughs> I'm so sorry for how long it takes. Um, I'm just actually putting a little honey in my tea so i'm ready to go well we were ready to go gosh it seems like a lifetime ago now probably seven or eight weeks ago we sat down in california in the studio and outside the studio where you made this amazing album which is finally ready to be heard in full and we had part two because the idea was we were always going to go one two three along with the releases and um so people were supposed to have seen this interview which i loved and i thought was a great follow up to our initial conversation yeah i don't know we did we never really connected on it but i just sort of felt like the idea of us hanging out at a time when people are social distancing and not sure how to relate to one another it felt weird looking back at the interview as good as it was yeah it just felt like from a different time and so i guess we just (laughs) decided to pick to pick up here and talk about the album in full but it's kind of weird isn't it thinking about that conversation and how how different times were yeah that like it's so funny because we were we were really chomping at the bit to finish the record and we were pretty like, we were pretty ragged at that point, just frazzled nerves were shot and all of it. And it's amazing. Now I think back on that time as it, like, as if it was so peaceful, (laughs) I'm just like longing for how simple that really was. You know, I'm glad that we get a chance in a weird way. It works out perfectly because we get a chance to kind of now dive into the whole project. And um, we, we've talked a lot about your journey toward making the record. And we'll touch on that, I'm sure, because it's, it's inextricably connected to it. But it's great just to be able to talk about the body of work. And looking at it now in a track listing and listening to it in full this morning, I really understood it more 
as a whole than I did as in, in parts, you know? Oh, sick. I realize that the, the journey is so clear, you know, from rage to acceptance to almost like a rebirth, right? Because part three that makes up the album really feels like you've, you've reached a wide open space again for the first time in a long time. I didn't think about it until Dead Horse dropped and I realized how similar that is to my experience with After Laughter, especially because some of the influences were very similar, like a lot of Afrobeat, you know, Lajadu Sisters and Fela Kuti, all of that stuff like was so deeply embedded into the fibers of After Laughter. And I really hadn't experimented more with that outside of After Laughter. So when when that cropped up here, and then I was also able to talk about like super dark shit over something so bubbly. Um, I, I don't know. There's some something really relieving about it. It feels like home for me. And uh, I'm excited that that's out before the rest of the album. You know, like people have heard that and they're, they're comfortable with that before the, you know, all of the, these other songs are out. And I, I'm, I'm glad cause it really, that is the marker for me that, that like that pulled, what, what's the word I'm looking for? It sort of like took my finger out of the fucking plug, like where I can yeah. let everything flow through and open up into this new world that I'm trying to exist in, which is still, you know, still hard. Every, every day is different, but I'm a lot more aware and I, I, I'm more accountable for the shit that I'm feeling. Well, that's it. And we touched on that um, in the last interview. And I think the idea of, of coming to terms with who you are as a person really requires you to accept your flaws and accept the mistakes you've made, if, yeah. if nothing else, but to be able to let go of the shame that comes with it. Mm, yeah. And being able to acknowledge that actually deep down in there, past the surface, of fear, there is the good person that was there before those things happened, before those things in life happened, right? Getting back to that core goodness. Yeah, man. Yes. I, especially like, I don't know how important this is really to the conversation, but I, I do think about it a lot. I grew up in the South. I grew up in church and I like, there are two sort of I mean, I guess it just depends on your theology, really. I, I don't know where I sit anymore with with, uh, that religion, that type of faith. But I think like you're either born sinless or you're born completely and utterly flawed. And either way, you're still striving for redemption and perfection. And I think I grew up with this mentality that I had to be a certain type of good, you know, and as soon as life really hit and, and I got a little bit older and I started making choices, some of which were terrible for me, I, I took it so hard um, as such a failure. And it, it set me on a, a really bad path. I think most of my 20s I spent trying to make up for the shame that I felt. You know, there's different ways you could do that. You can either go out there and you could try to just apply yourself in the most positive way and just try to turn it all around and fight. That's a fight. Or you can go the other way and you can kind of, in a weird way, self-destruct and find ways to just validate your own sense of self-worth, which at that time is rock bottom. Yes, yes. And I guess it was the latter, right? Because otherwise we wouldn't have this album, which is Redemption <laughs> Record. Yeah, man. I didn't realize how much I was opening up about it already with Paramore's last record. I didn't know what I was going through. So that sort of primed me a little bit, but 
it still didn't get me down to the core of all of it. It just sort of introduced me to the idea of it. And I tell people this a lot, you know, especially like the couple of friends that worked on this record, we talked about these songs a bunch and um, Dead Horse in particular was tough because it was like, (laughs) it was like my Babadook. It was just like my that lurked for so long. And until I called it out, until I named it, that was it. Like I couldn't. We talked about it on the interview, and I, and, and you, you said something in relation to this question. So I'm going to ask again. It's about the, one of only two or three things I'd like to cover again from the last thing because I think it was really interesting. You know that lyric in particular, and and the idea that that you had to face down the decision you made when you were 18, I think. Yeah. And then you talked about the way it related to the summer before that, and I just wanted you to try to put that in context again because I think it's important for anybody who's made decisions in the heat of the moment that ultimately have to face them down, that there's a way through. What was oh. it that inspired that lyric and and how did it make you feel at the time? Ooh, how to talk about such things without <clears throat> stepping on other people's side of the story. <laughs> um, really what, what, what got me there was, was a few things. I mean, one was obviously living through it and, and living the consequences of, of my decision. You know, you, you can only run for so long before you realize you're in the quicksand, like you're just in it. And, um, you know, my, my wedding was a tough one. Like it was really, I, I remember thinking this redeems every bad choice I've made. This is going to do it. And, um, and it didn't, I was still the same person when I woke up the next morning. Um, being able to separate myself from the bubble that I created around that was part of my getting a divorce and, and making music or, you know, for other people in whatever context that they're living in, I think it could just look like creating and just movement in general. Um, but by the time I got to this record and it was time to talk about some of it, you know, I'm really proud to say that like I've reached out or been reached out to by people involved you know, um, other, uh, um, women that I wasn't able to talk to before. And there was a lot of healing that happened there. And, and I don't think that that would have, I don't think I would have been ready for that if Zach hadn't come to the band, back to the band. Like that was such a nice exercise in redemption and what that really feels like inside. It gave you a sense of what forgiveness actually feels like. And then you're open to it across the board. Yeah, man. Yeah. Cause it's all very humbling and it's a little uncomfortable. It's like stretching or working out a muscle that you don't even know is underneath the other muscle. It's not that I feel like, Oh man, I got no worries anymore. Like every, all this stuff is just cleared out of me. Like, I've got plenty of shit to wrestle with. Like there's a lifetime of it up there, but that this was such a, a heavy, like anvil, you know, in my gut, like that just pulled me down all the time. And it, it's nice to, to just own up to your shit and humble yourself. And I mean, yeah. one of the most, you know, one of the most kind of heart, I think really honest, but also, I mean, honestly, quite heartbreaking statements you made when we spoke in California was when you talked about the decision and you had, you know, a, a relationship with someone under difficult circumstances, you know, an affair, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And then you yeah. said that was the last, some really, honest summer or pure summer you felt that you had was before that experience. And I just thought that was such a, an incredibly astute observation because after that, it, you know, all of that lifetime of trying to be good and trying to be perfect is just, 
it's just in question at that point, right? It's like that one decision and it's just one decision and people make bad decisions all the time. Yeah. I, I think about how young I was and the level of just the judgment that I put myself under after that. I was so young. Like I have a 16 year old sister. I have a 24 year old sister and my 24 year old sister just got married and she's so happy and she's a lot stronger and more centered than I was at that age. My 16 year old sister is so, so intelligent and doesn't seem to worry about all the things I used to worry about, but I can see still how young she is. And I'm like, I was only two years older than that. (laughs) Alpha's pissed. Um, (laughs) Or he's like cheering me on. I don't know. Yeah. He's like, go on, man. Tell your truth. Talk your talk. (laughs) I I do remember that conversation that we had and, and I kept calling it the last golden summer because yeah, that's right. It was like, it was so sun filled, you know, it was warp tour riot had just come out. There were a lot of things that were so exciting and it felt like the, the whole world was ahead of me and I just made a wrong move, you know? And, and I thankfully as an adult got to experience another summer that felt very similar, which was when we did the very last tour for after laughter. Um, it was so emotional and connected. And I felt like I inhabited myself again. It's tough when you're that AJ and you just, you think, you've, you think you know it all. And in particular, I think you being in a situation where you're in a band that is adored by many at that point, it, you know, it happened so fast for you and Paramore. All of a sudden you were, my dog just took a big sh- to the left of me, by the way, just to give you a little bit of insight into what's going on. So your dog's barking and my dog's pooping. And so, I mean, I don't know what that says about our conversation right now. But <laughs> Alf ate his shit yesterday. Like, <laughs> like look, looking at me in my eyes, just like munching Staring on at you like, this is happening. <laughs> it's particularly complicated, I think, when you are faced every night by thousands of people who are cheering you on and saying, we love you, we love you, you're perfect. And you deep down, yeah. you're going off stage and going, if only you knew what I'm dealing with behind yeah. the scenes. And that, that must be, I suppose, almost the lowest point at the highest point. Yeah. So I, I, I think about this quite a bit too, because when someone tells you something that you don't believe to be true about yourself, it only further puts into focus the opposites. Like if a kid came up to me out there somewhere back in the day and was just like, Oh my God, I look up to you so much. You're my role model. You're perfect. Blah, 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 blah. And whatever. These are all like really kind things. And maybe it's completely genuine and, and founded, you know, for them. But all I would think about is every single mistake, every single bit of shame or darkness that they didn't know about, you know? And then it's like, now I feel inauthentic. Now I feel like I'm really going to let you down. That's why, why songs like Idol Worship came about for Paramore. Cause I just felt like, oh man, I know you didn't mean to, but you just contextualized every bit of shame I have, you know, by telling me that I'm perfect. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's funny. I know, I know not everyone has that experience. Like not everyone in the world is in a band and they're not playing on a stage, but I still think everyone feels this. I think that, you know, one kid might get it from their dad. One kid might get it from their boss or whatever, but like, it's, it's a universal experience. This is just how I've felt it. And when you think about that time, before after laughter, which is really when 
adulthood came along and was like, hey, you can do this. I'll give you the tools. You just got to take them, right? I'll give you, I'll show you the way forward. You just got to be brave enough to take it, right? You got to be bold enough to do the work, you know? But before that, you're not even facing that shit. It's just like album tour, album tour, (laughs) like disaster, you know, um, redemption tour, another disaster. Just going, going, going. Going, going, going. And it was just so tumultuous. I just feel like there was a five to 10 year period in Paramore that just felt like every other, and again, we touched on this a bit last time, every other sort of year, there was another lawsuit or another fucking thing that you were going through. I don't know why it had to be that hard. I really don't. When I think back on it, I'm like, man, actually it was pretty simple. Like we got handed a golden ticket, you know? But we were kids, man. We didn't know how to handle it. There was jealousy. There was weirdness about like just the fact that I was, you know, in the spotlight a little bit more, which we denied to to no end because that didn't, it just, it just, we didn't see it in the moment. But there was just a lot of not mature feelings and, and then also no communication because we didn't have the tools to do that. So, oh, it was tough, but I mean, I'm, glad we're still here. And the reputation that developed over that time, which obviously now we realize is completely unfounded, but it must've been tough to, and I think about this a bit when, when I'm, I was thinking about this before we spoke this time, because it really relates to the way that I think female artists and females are perceived in in positions of power and control, which is not a bad thing. It's a great thing. When you have power over your own destiny and your own decisions, that's a human right, no matter who you are and how you're built. Yeah. But yeah. I think about during that time and now, hopefully that, that changes one conversation at a time and one example at a time. But back then the idea that you were in charge of this band and your male counterparts are choosing to leave and sue you kind of almost painted you in the, as this picture of like this control freak, this like yes. Yes. fame hungry, you know, burn <laughs> right. any bridge, burn any bridge to get where you got to get to kind of yeah. person. I mean, were you aware of that? And, and, and how, to, and how tough was that to kind of deal with at the time? Oh, I was well aware of it. I was well aware of it before it was public because before it became like a public matter, um, you know, with, with all of the sensationalized headlines and all that, it was still something that we experienced in micro doses all the time. Um, especially the scene that we were a part of, like we just grew up playing music in a world where I was generally the only girl, especially the only girl my age, you know, and that's like a whole other aspect of, of just some of the weirdness that like the, the ways we got treated early on had a lot to do with our age. And, um, I, like I said, we're lucky that we're still here. We obviously got through it, but I, I still experience little blips of it, um, which surprised me because I always feel like we've evolved so much. And I think there's so many strong, incredibly articulate women making art and, you know, founding companies and doing things that are just heroic and really cool. And it seems as if culturally we, we champion these women now and we don't always hold them up to a standard that, that a, a man would be held up to you know, or we do because maybe in some cases it should all be held to the same standards, you know, but I, I've been surprised lately. I've seen more just tweets or comments, you know, cause right now my way of connecting with fans is all online. So I'm, I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to do it wholeheartedly. And I, and it, and it, it makes me, you know, I, I see the bad stuff too, but I've been surprised. Like it's a lot of bros on Twitter, man, that just like have 
to say or, you know, don't, it seems as if they don't like an angry side of me. And I'm like, bro, where you been? I've been angry this whole time. <laughs> Just maybe not as forthright about it as right now. But I, I don't know. I'm trying to deal with it in my own ways. Some days I'm sarcastic, passive aggressive. Other days I don't get online at all, or I take a weekend off. Um, sometimes I try to come at it with empathy, but you know, either way it's, it was hard growing up and it's still hard now. Like it, it was, it's, it's not any like easier cause I'm still, Hey, I'm still the same person. Yeah. I think back to that first conversation we had and, 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 you know, trying to find an environment that where you felt protected and supported that you mm-hmm. had a family that you could actually rely on because you'd been through these kind of ups and downs early on in life. And yeah. so you're dealing with this kind of strange, subliminal, and at times very obvious judgment from your peers on these tours and in this environment. Mm-hmm. And so you're looking left and right to your team. And yeah. one by one, they're picking off as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're just like, what the <laughs> fuck? Not to take you there, but it's important to document it because I think that, you know, you really have been a, a an instrumental influence in helping to break this 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 kind of toxic principle of of not supporting strong female voices in the arts in particular yeah was the lowest point when when jeremy left was that the was that the moment when it was like i don't know what the fuck to do now yeah i quit the band because i was like i can't well two things when josh and zach quit it we had already not been good for so long that i think taylor and jeremy and i knew it was going to happen and we, and we kind of respected it. Like we had had enough conversations. It was like, yeah, this is the right thing for them to do. What happened afterwards was just, to me, was just immaturity and sensationalism, you know, and probably a lot of like people trying to cover their own ass financially, but like, uh, and I wonder sometimes like, was that all something that Josh really thought was the right thing to do? Or was that legal advice or what? Like, remembering that we were kids is very important for me in that healing process, you know, cause we didn't know what the f- we were doing, but when Jeremy left, we were a little bit older. We had experienced more success, which made everything feel even more twisted. And he had had a child and I wanted to be part of that. You know, I just felt like this was it. Like we were all family. And when it fell apart again, it was kind of like, well, sh- what do I have to live for? Like I- I don't, and I certainly don't want another press release coming out and then to hear what people are going to have to say about me because they're going to think it's my fault yet again. And I just didn't want to deal with it. So my way of dealing with things at that time was to I'm out. Like, run. Yeah. yeah. That was low. That was the lowest point. And Taylor and I spent, I'm so grateful for that time and Taylor's patience with me. Um, it, he would sit with me at a coffee shop or we'd go to lunch and just, talk about it or talk around it. He never forced me back. He never. There was a moment, right? That was the moment when Josh walked in mm, and you mm-hmm. and Taylor were sitting in the cafe. Yes, man. Cause yeah. here's the thing. You, you mentioned this really subtly in the after laughter interview. I remember it and it <laughs> yeah. never really landed. Cause I didn't know the full story. So I was just like, Oh yeah. cool. You hung out with Josh. Great. Let's move on to the album <laughs> song number eight, you know? And now now I truly understand the, the relevance of that moment because of the, 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 the timing of it, the way life works, right? Like that was when it was all going down, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, he, obviously Josh would not have known 
what we were wrestling with because it was very private at the time. <clears throat> and I had only just moved back to Franklin like a few months prior to that. Here I was like thinking, I'm going to get married. Band's going to make another record. It's going to be great. <laughs> we just won a Grammy. And then life, like every part of it fell apart. Every layer was just crumbling. And within how long from that idyllic realization that I won, I did it. I outrun, I outran my shame and now I'm married, successful, and I'm good to go. And I guess you're in California at this point. How long between then and moving back to Franklin was it? What was the time frame? Three months. Whoa. Oh my God. Yeah. You're lucky because people go on for decades thinking yes. it's all good and then it falls apart. Thank you. Oh, thank God. Because I, I don't want to know who I'd be if I hadn't already learned some of these lessons. I'm sure there's like far more lessons to go, but these ones were really, really crucial to me. Just, I don't know, like handling a lot of shit and, and also like getting closer with people who actually are really truly in my life forever. My family, even like I wasn't even as close with my family as, as I am today before I got married. Is that because ultimately they recognized the mistake that you were making, but didn't have the heart to tell you? Yeah. Yeah. And in some cases they tried to tell me, but you know, cause there was a lot of, of, of hurts. There was a lot of stuff that, that should have pointed me to the right direction. But I, I thought I'm going to show all of you who couldn't stay married. I'm going to show you guys how you can man up and own your shit. And at that point, marriage becomes an idea. It becomes an idea and it doesn't become yeah. an experience or a feeling or an emotion. It's just a concept. Yeah. And it's also, it truly is a choice. It's an active choice. And I don't even mean just marriage, but like, but, but like the partnership piece, it's such a choice. It's such a, you have to dig in and it, and it's painful. I, I think maybe more times than not. And then you get to the redeeming parts and it's like, Oh, that's why I've gone through this. And I'm like, <laughs> the good I'm stuff is deep. Yeah. Right. I'm holding out because I know, like, look, I, I've been jaded long enough and, and I had my fun with it in public very much just being jaded about, you know, being single or, or feeling about love or men or whatever. And it's funny, like, look, I can find my identity there. Sure. I can be comfortable in that. Sure. I was raised by a single mother. I'm fine in that arena, but yeah, I, I think the truth is I want more than that. I want more than, than what I tried to settle for in which I was essentially just doing it for a broken part of myself. I wasn't doing it to learn. I wasn't doing it to grow. I was just trying to cover up something. Well, if the, you know, if the shoe fits, right, if, if, if that's the reality that you think your life is, then mm. rather than do at that point, you just inevitably decide that I may as well wear the jacket. I may as well <laughs> right. be, I may as well be that person who's yeah. out there like, you know, singing those songs, telling those stories and being that person for those yeah. people. Right. I've done that for so long. And, and it's not to say that art that we've made was not genuine. Everything we ever did, I really was, that was my most evolved self at the time. You know, that was me trying as hard as I could to get to the good stuff, to get to the bottom of what I was feeling. But, you know, A, I do think some of it comes with age. I think I, you know, I, I couldn't have said some of this stuff before because I just didn't have access to it. And therefore the choices that I 
have made up until now, not all of those were really well-considered choices. They were fly by the seat of my pants. Like what feels, what's going to soothe me today right now. And that doesn't help you grow. Got to grow and live your life in yeah. public. is such yeah. <laughs> a crazy unique thing. And it really is the long road of the artist mm. to find a way to tell their truth because it only really makes sense at key points along the way, like with yeah. considerable time in between that you can sit here now having finished pedals for armor and say, okay, it's okay that I said those things. Mm-hmm. Could you have said what you've said in the last third of this record before you wrote Simmer even? Like no. even when you wrote, right, exactly. So the time frame between being able to write these these songs and start this song is really the duration of the of the album. That's it. Yeah. I'm giving my editor a continuity nightmare, by the way, because every time they cut back, I've been watching these things because of the FaceTime. There's no three cameras. Every time it's like this, it's like this. And then the next edit is like this. And next edit is like this. And next edit is like this. I'm just literally like seven different looks. So, so how's this for your continuity? Um, I, I, um, I couldn't have written... I couldn't have written any of the and, and like it all happened in a very similar time frame to where how we're releasing it. So part one, a lot of it was written in the bleak winter and pure love, which is the first like the opening track of part three, which now everyone will have the whole album. Um, pure love was written in May and, you know, like the record comes out in May and. It's just so fun how it's panned out because I do think that the stretch of time that it took to get from rage to pure love or crystal clear um, was was a, like a five or a six month process of beating it out of myself. Like really like, yeah, it, it felt like hammering steel or something. To write a song like Pure Love, to write a song like Crystal Clear, a song like Taken, this is like one, two, three, four, five songs that really you've written about the, you know, a new idea of what love can mean that isn't mm. so, isn't so centered in the past and isn't so centered in it, it's like, it's, it's, you're coming out with a clear vision. Mm. Is it hopeful? Is it, what are you drawing upon to get to this place where you're writing these unbridled missives about love and what it means to you? Well, I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to not base all my, movements and fear trying to not project my own past onto my potential future or onto anyone else like i'm i'm trying to respect where i came from but like not be there anymore and it's hard to do like one day you feel like you're fine and you're mo- you're moving through you, you know maybe i'm in therapy and i'm like talking about the month that I decided to get a divorce and how hard that was and, you know, or unfaithfulness and feeling betrayed and how am I ever going to trust someone again, you know, when they leave for a little while, because all my issues go back to abandonment, you know, and divorce or, you know, it's like, you know, when you play games with babies and you do this and you go, you know, like you, you teach them that you're still there, even when they can't see your eyes. Like that's the whole basis of that game is essentially to give them security in the playfulness of your relationship. But when you experience something 
as hard to understand as a divorce at such a young age, like that just goes into every fiber of your being. And it sends off these alarms that say when someone walks out the door, they never come back. And I have to, I have to take responsibility for what I do with those feelings. It's funny when you do something in your life and then something bad happens later on, it's natural to feel like you brought that upon yourself, that you've been waiting for this moment to happen and that ultimately all roads have led to this. You mentioned the idea of, 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 you know, adultery there. And I wondered whether that was, that was in a weird way, your relationship with karma had been, had been foiled for a long time. Yes. Yeah. Confirmation bias, man. If you believe things about yourself hard enough, you'll manifest it. You know, um, you just will. You'll, because it's like me and the guys used to play this game. We got really obsessed with PT cruisers for a while. Don't ask why maybe Michael Scott. I don't know. But as soon as we started loving them, we saw them everywhere every day, all day long. And it just became this game. And, and I, I don't think about it as much and I don't, see them as much. And when I do, and I, when I notice it and call it out, I always smile, but it's like, you, you just, you, you see what you want to see at the end of the day. You do. And, uh, here we are. Pedals for armor. The album start to finish simmer rage dead, um, horse acceptance Mm. and self-acknowledgement crystal clear absolute openness, readiness to let go. And I wonder what a good day feels like now compared to the last 12 years. It's different than being a teenager, but I will say that there's a feeling when I wake up in the morning and I've I've had it a few times during quarantine because there's been a, there's been a few really beautiful days where I wake up and obviously there's not a lot to do right now. So there's not the same types of responsibilities for my job. So I just throw on a t-shirt and some shorts and I just go outside and I sit or a friend will come and sit six or eight feet away from me in the backyard and we'll talk. And, and it feels a little bit golden, kind of like I described that one summer, there's just a, a certain shade of light that's on all of those feelings and I see them very vividly. And, um, yeah, I guess it's just the comfort of being able to be present and, and, and also noticing that, um, noticing that I'm being present, uh, which is a little counterintuitive to, to being present. I guess I have to go outside of my body to notice it for a second, but like, I, I don't think that we're meant to just feel that every day. I don't, I don't, I think honestly adulthood is a little harder than that, but when I do experience it, it's so nice to know that I took the, the right steps that I could to get back to those places. Um, and those, those moments present themselves to me as like little gifts, you know, little gifts that I don't know that they like hit me in that core place. And it reminds me of like inside out, you know, when she has those core memories or whatever, and you see the little golden ball, like float through, I have those moments. And that movie really gave me a good visual for it because I can feel when it's happening and I take a breath and I like try to 
try to like receive it. And now you're much, you're much, much closer to the people who you made after laughter with and you, and the bond is so huge. Yeah. That attention has to, because, you know, we're insatiable out here in this world, man. Bish, bosh, pedals for armor. Well done. What do you want? A fucking medal? Next. Right. So, um, <laughs> well, I suppose before we get to, to, to that, to what the future holds, I guess the immediate, the immediate, this is a moment when you were supposed to be surrounded and supported again by your friends yeah. and the new band and your crew and fans and feel that sense of, of community that you built for yourself through your passion. And that's not happening right now. And how, how has that been to adapt to? I grieved it for a moment and uh and I also was in denial of it for a moment but um the majority of these dates I mean until I hear back more from agents and promoters it seems like everything is moving to 2021 and so once again today I'm accepting and I'm sure there'll be some grief you know to follow but I just in a weird way I think that earth culture, society, like we probably in some twisted way need to be forced to stop. We need to be forced to slow down. Um, I, it's so hard to watch the news that that compounds with my disappointment of not being able to be out there with people. Um, so I have to shield myself from that because it's fucking sad. Like it's, it's, there's just a lot of grief and trauma happening at, like at a, rate that's just impossible to process. So it's just really heartbreaking. And I think it keeps my perspective, you know, Nashville just had that tornado that plowed through town a, a month ago and people are out of their homes. They don't have their businesses. You know, a lot of local favorites are gone, just like wiped. And, um, I am in my home with my dog, the house that I've lived in for, I, Try to keep perspective. I'm so lucky. I can cook for myself. Um, you know, and and all I know how to do with that is try to output when I have the capacity to do it, which is, you know, maybe it's things like this and conversations, or maybe it's little acoustic videos or whatever. But like I I'm sad I don't get to play the songs live right now, but I know that I'll get to, and I know that that everything happens when it's supposed to so it'll it'll come and and it'll be it'll be worth it do you think about paramore right now i mean in the time that you have is it cross your mind you've been so focused on pedals for armor and it's and we've spoken about how you've been able to really re redefine your relationship with paramore by by actually letting go in a healthy way and not feeling like the legacy is everything you know what i mean right right i there's not really a moment I don't think about Paramore, but, um, but this has been a really great exercise to like, just believe in myself as a person and, and as the artist. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm just, I'm lucky. I've got a great creative community around me that don't let me, uh, doubt myself for too long. They'll tell me, you know, to listen back to something I've done or to look at something and see the proof. So there's reality that I can touch, you know, are you getting better at that? Because you are an artist's artist. I mean, you know, and this is, well, actually this is kind of, this is designed to embarrass you to a degree, but, um, <laughs> you know, you know, you are as a voice and as a, as, as a, as a figure, as a, as a, as an artist, um, mm -hmm. somebody that other artists are very, very quick to, 
um, pay tribute to and to reflect upon your influence. And we, you know, we joke, you know, we, we had a good laugh about the fact that, you know, you couldn't deal with the attention that comes from one of the world's greatest rap stars wanting you to guess, but that's just one example yeah, yeah, of, yeah. of many. And I, and I wonder whether or not that makes you, f- that's starting to, to sink in a little bit and starting not in an arrogant way, but in a way of like, you know, maybe I, I do have legacy that matters outside of just how I feel about myself on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe there's room for that. There's certainly more room for that now than there was before. Um, you know, I was just talking to Taylor about the why we ever demo that I made. It was the first time that I ever worked pro tools by myself and mic'd up different, you know, whatever, all of it. And, uh, and he was like, cause I posted a video of or multiple videos of that process from the first night. And he was like, I'd never seen those videos. He was like, that was the first, he's like, you have to understand that that's, that's fucking cool. And you, you did it. Like you, you started and it's actually like, are you, he was like, are you fucking kidding me that it was great. And it's nice because I, I don't think that about it. I don't think that about myself. And I'm a little embarrassed to show people that. But to have someone that I look up to who I trust tell me that is is just it does help me make a little bit more space for my own self-belief. And, um, you know, I'm trying to move. I'm, I bought like a Aspire recording device where I can use my phone like we talked about. I can and essentially like multi-track voice memos, basically. And, um, I'm going to try, you know, just doing more stuff by myself for fun and see where it goes. But Paramore, we're already, we're definitely talking about Paramore all the time. It's just, it's, it's sort of in passing or it's just never out of our minds, you know? And I'm excited because we don't know where it goes. We follow our fucking whims, which could change on a day-to-day basis. Doesn't Taylor want to detune? the E string down to D doesn't he want to go full, <laughs> full drop D I feel like he does man I can't exactly put my finger on what he's trying where he's what he's feeling but he he makes mention of like a lot of bands and artists that we were influenced by early on and and some of those things I don't even think our fans know because I don't necessarily think that we sounded like what we listened to on our debut album. I think that we expressed it in the way that we could and, you know, showed, showed ourselves the way that we could, but it's interesting to hear him talking about, you know, we talked about Queens in the last interview that we did that, that people haven't seen. And obviously like the strokes just put out a brilliant album that we're obsessed with. And those are, those are bands that we were fans of and yeah, yeah, yes. And the rapture and all like all of that got us somewhere at, at an early point and i don't know i don't i mean who knows if that comes across it continues i mean everybody's so happy that you finished this album and and i for one as your you know as your friend am so stoked that you know we can listen to this now forever and like i said it's a document that people should refer to not just as great music but as an example of what happens when you're able to see a space in the denseness, you know what I mean? And what it feels like when you come out the other side of that. And, um, I know it's still rough for you, man. You're honest about it. You know, you're honest. You're, you went on social that day and said, I've had a rough few days and we caught up around that time. And, and it's, I guess there's a, I guess as we finish now, when you accept that it's just going to be like this and you're just going to get better 
at accepting that it's going to be like this. It's almost a relief, isn't it? Man, it's a daily conversation with myself too. I, I think I, I said something early on in, in a couple of interviews about really sitting with your anger and, and asking it questions, you know, and I know that for people that maybe aren't in therapy, that sounds like woo woo and whatever, but really like sitting with yourself and asking yourself why, or investigating what certain feelings really mean. Um, it's hard to remember to do in real time. And I have to experience the lesson quite often now because i mean like this everything we're going through collectively nobody wrote a guidebook for this like there's not there's not many rules other than we have to stay inside and we have to take care of each other and and whatever but I, like there's not really like a mental health protocol for for something this vast so every day i sort of have have that moment where it's like okay, what am I feeling? What does that say about me? What does that mean? And what does it want from me? And, and sometimes it's real shit. Sometimes I'm like lazy and I'm pessimistic and, and I don't, I don't get very far other days. I do great. And I, and I'm proud of that, but like even the acceptance of all of that is important. And I don't know. I mean, we'll see, we'll see what I have to say when we're making the, the next Paramore record and I'm maybe learning other things. But right now I'm comfortable in the discomfort of, of growing. You've been listening to my conversation with Haley Williams. At Apple Music, we talk to amazing people, artists and musicians every single week. So make sure you subscribe right here to never miss another great conversation. And you can watch the full interview and listen to Haley Williams' album, Pedals for Armor, now on Apple Music.